some tweets that uh, President Donald Trump had done uh, over the past 24 hours in regards to uh, George the George Floyd protests that are currently ongoing right now in Minnesota. In sports, looks like there will there may be a super fight before between Conor McGregor and Anderson the Spider Silva, which would be an awesome fight to uh, to watch to, if you ask me. In video game news. Call of Duty Modern Warfare has added duos to Warzone. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Plus, I have special guest, author, actress, model, Wendy Stewart Kaplan joins me and talks to me, tells me a, a few very interesting stories, including the time that she met Andy Warhol at Studio 54. But first, here is Great Gang's End of the World, right here on the Xander Effect. Fucking rain and I'ma throw it. I said rain coming down on me, got me fucking. 
going insane. I've been going insane. They got me going insane. I've been going insane. They got me going insane. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Yo, what's good? This is Isaiah. How you doing? This is Eli. We are Dose, and you're on the Xander Effect. Trump had sent out 
in the past 24 hours, basically uh, uh, Trump went ahead and said that once the looting starts, the shooting starts or something around to that to that effect. Um, you know, in regards to the protests and the current disturbances that are going on in Minnesota right now over the George Floyd incident that happened over George Floyd's murder by uh, the four police officers, the four Minnesota police officers that was caught on camera by many my many uh, standing bystanders. Uh, so basically, what happened was that after shortly after that, there was a lot of protests. Uh, uh, police precinct was burned to the ground by the protesters to which uh, they went ahead and deployed over 500 National Guardsmen to the to the current uh, situation out there that was starting to get a little bit out of control, out of hand, a little bit violent, what, what, what have you. And President Donald Trump went ahead and he tweeted something that a lot of people saw as inciting the violence, uh, to which also Twitter went ahead and flagged uh, his, his tweet uh, but didn't take it off. They didn't take off. The, they didn't take down the tweet. They just flagged it. And underneath, they basically said that uh, Trump's tweet violated uh, certain terminology, certain terms or whatever uh, from Twitter's uh, from Twitter's guidelines. Well, Taylor Swift went on Twitter and she tweeted in response to Donald Trump and saying, "After stoking the fires of white supremacy and racism your entire presidency, you have the nerve to feign moral superiority before threatening violence." When the looting starts, the shooting starts, we will vote you out in November at real Donald Trump. So Taylor Swift, very vocal, very upset at uh, President Trump's tweet. And of course, Taylor Swift has been kind of, she's been kind of silent um, politically speaking, you know, basically since the 2018 midterms elections. She has just started since 2018 for, uh, to speak out, you know, uh, politically, advocating for the Equality Act and, of course, criticizing Republican Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn. But she was actually silent for much of that, you know, before that, um, shortly during the because of the like, you know, during the 2016 elections. And she got a lot of backlash after the 2016 elections. Basically, a lot of people were criticizing her. Uh, for not endorsing a presidential candidate. They were also criticizing her for not publicly denouncing the white supremacist uh, support she was receiving. So eventually she came, she, she actually decided to speak on both those situations in her 2020 Netflix documentary, Miss, A Miss Americana. Basically she said that, you know, she had, she had mentioned that she had a mixture of uh, public backlash, back backlash uh, she was receiving after the feud with Kim Kardashian West and her team advised her not to, you know, pretty much not risk losing uh, any fans and, you know, for speaking out about that. So that's why she kept quiet. But obviously she's not staying quiet anymore. And she's obviously, you know, expressing her disdain for uh, for President Donald Trump. So, so far, Trump has not responded to the tweet. And uh, who knows if he will, but, you know, knowing President Trump, he probably will make a mention of that. If not, you know, he may be asked by reporters uh, in regards to that tweet and his own tweet, obviously. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens soon. In other entertainment news, Ruby Rose has decided to somewhat open up about her exit of uh, the series Batwoman. And the thing is that, um, you know, as I reported in an earlier episode, 
Uh, she basically gave, gave no reason at the time. There was a lot of speculation as to why she left. Uh, a lot of sources closer to her basically were saying that she left because of because the schedule was too rigorous, or you know, and many other many other reasons. But uh, Ruby Rose decided to go ahead and post on social media. She posted on uh, Instagram with a video, basically a montage video of her as Batwoman and her exit. And she said, quote, thank you everyone for coming on this journey. If I mentioned everyone, it would be a thousand tags. But thank you to the cast, crew, producers, and studio. It wasn't an easy decision, but those who know, know. I didn't want to know, to, I didn't want to not acknowledge everyone involved and how big this was for TV and for our community. I have stayed silent because that's my choice for now, but no, I adore you all. I'm sure next season will be amazing also. And she also went ahead and she put uh, Hangs Up Cal and Kate. Also at Miss Marvel. So that is pretty much the only uh, the only um, things the only explanation she's given right now. Again, it wasn't it wasn't a full explanation. It was more of a goodbye and uh, you know uh, a show of gratitude for the the amazing support. But again, no real explanation as to why she's really leaving uh, Batwoman. Maybe she'll come out and say it, you know, in the coming months when she's ready to go. In other entertainment news, I had the opportunity to interview author, actress, uh, fit model, Wendy Stewart Kaplan. And man, she has an incredible story to tell of her journey from when she began as an archaeology major and how she crossed over from archaeology to modeling, to acting, to hosting, to now being an author. And let me tell you, her story is incredible. But first, here are the FM's Inclosion Model, right here on The Center of Facts.
development is in Poland from Oakley as a president. It's successful, radioactive, poisoning of the atmosphere, and in She's an author, world-renowned fitness model, actress, TV host. My God, woman, you've done everything. <laughs> I have. I'd love to say I wear so many hats. And yeah, I have done everything because I'm a person. And you know what? I don't just dabble. I full out do it because I have a lot of interests, you know, and it, it takes a lot to satisfy my curiosity. Well, I got to ask, how did you, how did these, like, all these, uh, you know, portions of your life begin? I mean, how did you get started in the industry of wanting to be an entertainer and everything? Oh, well, that, that's a really easy question for me to answer. I majored in archaeology in college. <laughs> wow. that Talk about, I, talk about right. taking a real hard left turn on that one. There you go. But um, I, I just, when I got out of school, I went and I lived in Nigeria, right? And if you read my book, uh, She's the Last Model Standing, I open up in Nigeria, right? Why do I bring that up? Because that was the thing that just opened up my mind and made me realize, hey, you know what? You can do anything in this life that you, that you want to do. I found myself, you know, gazillions of miles away in a country that was so different from the way I had grown up. And I loved every minute of it. And that's when it occurred to me, I want to experience as many different things as possible in life. And I had always had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to be a model. I wanted to be an actress. My mom had been a model, and I grew up with all these incredible stories of, of glamour back in the days when she did it. My mother was fifth runner-up in the Miss America pageant. She was Miss wow. Connecticut. I know. So as a kid, right, I grew up in the Bronx, and you hear all this stuff, and it just sounds so glamorous. It's also fairy tale. So that had always been in the back of my mind. But, you know, then I found myself thinking, oh, you know, you, you're not going to be able to do this. Um, but again, that trip to Nigeria 
I think it was like 20 years old, it just really turned me around and made me realize that you can do anything in this world that you want to do. And the rest is just history. You know, I, I started uh, going around to model agencies in New York, which again, if you read my book, oh my God, the things that they said to me, you cannot even imagine. The angles in your face don't match the angles in your body. Um, I was about 15 so, pounds. So, so, so pretty much what they were doing was they were just cutting you down before you even got started. I, you, I love that you picked that up. That's exactly right. But what the heck made me keep going? That's the question. It was every model agency. You know, the standing joke when I do speaking engagements, I tell kids this that are wanting to pursue modeling careers. I was the girl turned down by every model agency. And now, you know what? In retrospect, when I think about it, I didn't have typical looks that they wanted. There was nothing about me that really fit into a mold. You know, again, I wasn't super skinny, but it will show you, right, what determination and not giving up will do. Well, so yeah, I was turned down by everyone until one took me. So well, that and look how look how uh, how life has evolved. I mean, look at how how uh, you know the the way the modeling agency. Yeah, it's still in the same in the same sense, the same you know attitude. You have to be a certain size. But that's changing. That's evolving. Now you have women that are curvaceous, that yes, are proud of their bodies, and yes. you know they're models. They're actually models. You got plus size models. You got average sure. size. You, they're not. They're no longer conforming to one size because in reality, you know, one size doesn't fit all. So thank you so much for saying that. That's that's exactly right. The agency I'm with. We have um, plus size, we do have a curvy division. I am actually just in the, you know, what they call middle American average size eight, right? I'm just like right in the middle. And then of course we have quote unquote fashion division, which those are the, like the size two, four girls that are 5'10 on up. Then there's the petite division, but you are so right. It's, it doesn't conform to what it used to conform to because we all come in every different size and shape. And that's and that you know what and that's actually something that you know even even young women that are growing up need to like need to and I hope they're starting to understand that you know in reality it doesn't matter your size it's all about you know your confidence your attitude yes. and uh -huh. how you treat others with both exactly and exactly I, I totally agree and that's the important part of it so that's really cool so you went so you went from. Arche okay, so I gotta ask you because archaeology has always been something that's always fascinated me. Oh, cool! Um, since I was a kid, since I was watching Indiana Jones, it's always been something that I've always, you know, been fascinated with. Of course, that job doesn't pay anything unless you find something. So <laughs> no, it doesn't, and you need a PhD. And I was not willing to stay in school that long. So oh man, but so how did you want? Why would you? Why did you want to get into archaeology to begin with? It's and I got to tell you, and we'll get to it, it comes full circle because I'm now back in that area and that's all of the story. But I wanted to get into it because like you, I grew up with like Indiana Jones, Lara Croft, and um, I, it just excited me, um, the places, the exotic places they would go in the world, right? Remember, I told you I'm so curious about everything. They would go to places that were just so different. And, you know, I was a kid growing up in the Bronx. I loved dreaming right about what what was out there for me but still afraid you know still holding back but i remember thinking my gosh that that world out there really is attainable and i you know when you're a kid in college right you're trying to think of the easiest way to do that so 
I thought, all right, you know, I love um, antiquities. I love the study of old things. I love foreign places. So I thought archaeology and anthropology, I actually minored in anthropology too. Um, that really seemed to encompass it. And sitting here talking to you now, it really makes me realize I, I hit, the hell on, hit the nail on the head with both of them. Uh, but then, you know, 360, I come back to New York from Nigeria and I applied at the Museum of Natural History for like uh, research assistance and all of that. And the only thing they offered me was to work a job in the bookstore. Uh, and uh-uh, I was not going to do that. That's and so then I was up. like, yeah, well, what, el what else do you want to do? Oh, okay, I'll become a model. And the rest is history. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you're you're well, laughing. See, and, and see, and see, the thing with me is that I, I just what fascinates me about archaeology are, are are different things. Like, for example, uh, does the Holy Grail exist? Is there a lost city of Atlantis? Is there, uh, you know, the Fountain of Youth? Is there a chalice? Is there? Does the Garden of Eden actually exist? Those and I can answer that... yes to a lot a lot of those things and i can tell you why now so along this whole path right modeling acting com comedian documentary filmmaker i end up joining the explorers club which in the world there's only 3400 people and here we are we're, we've come full circle at that club i am meeting the people that are doing the very kind of stuff that we're talking about wow there's a guy that uncovered there's a, a book he wrote about it. it's called the lost city of the monkey god it's in honduras it's a city with artifacts made of gold right wow. and he had heard the rumors of it and he took it and he's a filmmaker and he took a whole expedition team there in the hopes that they would find something right and this was like 12 years ago and this is a good story about never giving up so you know they're in the jungle they're not finding anything they're getting bit eaten alive it was tremendously expensive he couldn't get any more funding to do it after that and everyone said to him give up it's just a story this lost city of the monkey god but he had it in his head that it was there so let's fast forward to five years ago they i have to share this with you they invented a technology called lighter technology where you could go up in a plane and put these coordinates into a computer and it would show you what is below not only the surface of the jungle but what is in the ground below wow. and he did that he did that and he was able to prove hey it's down there and he got funding and he put the expedition together and he ended up going there and the artifacts that he found and that there were temples underneath there. And it's a true story. It's called Lost City of the Monkey God. You can read about it. They made a movie about it. But the, the thing is here, right? We're, Cause we're talking about determination. He never gave up. He never gave up even when everyone said to him, ah, oh, that's just a tale, it doesn't exist. And the really great outcome of it it really put a shining light on Honduras, a very poor country. They were able to excavate and get the artifacts, right? Those artifacts belong to them, not us. Yeah. And they opened a museum, which, which made them like national heroes. And when people go there, they can go and see the artifacts and hear about the expedition. And it's just a win-win, right? For, for the culture there and for everybody. So I love that story. Wow, that's an incredible story. See, incredible. See, these are the things because I've you know watched movies. I've read about all these things that I that I that I mentioned, and I know that they exist. They have to exist, you know. Yes. Why would people like make these stories up? There's you know what to get to tell a good story. There's been scientific proof that the, the lost city of Atlantis 
somehow existed. Absolutely. And, and you know, the Bermuda Triangle, the, I have a, it's a weird theory, call me crazy, but it's a weird theory that. I'll call you crazy, tell me. <laughs> the weird, the, 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 the Bermuda Triangle, we all know that anything that goes in there, yes. it, it, it gets lost. In my opinion, in my theory, I believe that the lost city left a device still active. And that device is still active to this day. And because that device is still active, that is what's causing these missing, uh, these missing planes, missing ships, everything in the Bermuda Right, they just planes. disappear. Exactly, because they, when the city, maybe, because the thing is that the lost city was advanced. And many people believe that scientists were playing with forces they shouldn't have been playing with. And when they invent, like, kind of like now. Um, and, right. And, and because they did that, the city sank into the ocean. And because it sank into the ocean, it left a lot of things still activated. So my theory is that scientists, they were testing something when the city sank and they left that device still active to this day. So you, okay, you think it's an actual tangible device, right? Mm -hmm. That's down there and it's causing ships to disappear mm -hmm. and things to disappear in this triangle. That's what you believe, right? Mm -hmm. That's my theory. Oh. That's just okay, my Okay, I have idea. an even more far out theory for you. What if it were a parallel universe? I was thinking that too. That it was right? a different dimension. Right? I was thinking right? that too. Stephen Hawking, a scientist, but he talked about parallel universes, right? And we all know if you study, like, I make films about indigenous people. I've gone to those parts of the world, and I know the things they believe. And they're not the things that we believe in the Western culture. And they can back those things up, even without science, as you and I know it, okay? So what if it were actually a parallel universe mm -hmm. and that, that that black hole that Bermuda Triangle is is where things disappear into because one thing I believe that we have the parallel universes right here right here with us right now mm -hmm. you and I can't see them we're not attuned to them but what if they are there our eyes only have you know for what we can see here in our quote-unquote modern society it's just food for thought i think about that all the time you know what though but you have a point because i, I was actually that was the second theory i had is that it's a gateway to somewhere else to a to a right. different dimension and what i'm the other theory that i have is that atlantis never sank it was it was it was pulled into that different dimension and that device is still on on their end Maybe to protect the city, maybe to guard from any outsiders from entering it. Who knows? Um, maybe because there's scientific stuff in there that nobody here should know about. Who knows? It could be any number of reasons why that's going on. But right. I believe in that as well, that possibly that Atlantis didn't sink. It was just pulled into whatever this place is. Because so of this device. So what you're saying is there's a tangible device that can actually... Across uh, universes. Correct. That's what. That's right. Because they're oh doing that right now. I love that. Because they're doing well. The thing is that they're doing that right now. Remember that a few years ago they activated a device that pretty much breached uh, the, the 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 it breached space time. I think it was. It was all over the news. And yes, was, I remember that. But then it was hushed up. They buried it. See, but that's the thing. I mean, <laughs> this show's not really about conspiracy theories or anything like that. But I mean, in talking about this. What if they shut it down because they opened something they weren't supposed to? Sure, I mean, they opened up a door. They I mean, opened up a door I, I mean, to another universe. About, I mean, think about it. Shortly after that happened, a lot of very disastrous things started happening on our end. And it was shortly after that happened. So 
it could be a coincidence. I mean, it could be very, it could very well be a coincidence, or maybe not. I mean, there we don't know what. Again, sometimes science they play with forces they should not be playing with. Completely. There are things. Completely. That, there are things in this universe that you know for for a reason. There's a reason why it hasn't been discovered yet, or there's a reason why it shouldn't be discovered yet because we don't know what the consequences or what the repercussions of doing that might 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 occur. Well, so, I think we do know the repercussions because here we sit, right, today. What is it, May 28th? You see, I've lost all sense of time. I haven't we all? Right, and here we are. And take a look at what's happening in the world. I remember, right, when 9-11 happened, we said, ah, we, I can't wrap my head around it, right? We couldn't, like, conceive of it because it had never happened before. Mm -hmm. And then you go to now, all right? Come on, where the, how the heck, how is this happening? Our whole way of life has been turned inside out and upside down. And you know what? We're all smart, savvy people. If someone had said this to you, like, I'm going to say four months ago, because three months ago, we already knew about the virus. Not that you and I knew about it, but they knew, right? Mm -hmm. But four months ago, if someone told you this was coming down the pike, you would have said, oh, come on. It's a science fiction movie. That's, you know, and here we are. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that's it's why crazy. So it's just it's these are just again, these are theories, but they're but you know, it, it just would make sense to a lot of things that are going on right now. Right, I mean, exactly. For all we know, this virus may have come from that other side. Who knows? Well, I you mean, serious, seriously, I you know what? I, th I think of that. I look, I'm the type of person to look under every rock. I'm a critical thinker and think about where it could have originated but now there's all kinds of theories out there oh, we're yeah. all hearing my you know my latest is how the heck do we get get rid of this you know now i've started to read um because i've worked in africa making films there and mm -hmm. particularly in cameroon we made a film called whispers and witnesses about rescuing primates from poachers and uh it was such an interesting country but while we were there you know i took malaria pills but a lot of people had malaria uh, some of the people I interviewed there had typhoid. So I've been in places where this stuff exists. And the way it seems to work, there's an outbreak, right? An Ebola outbreak. Uh, you know, we've never experienced outbreaks. What do we have here? A flu and the common cold in the winter? That's it. So I have to say to myself, okay, we are experiencing a, a massive outbreak, a horrible outbreak for the first time in any of our lives. And Hopefully, if it is managed well, and you notice I say that, it will go back to to where it came from, or at least will die off to a degree. I don't God, know. God, I hope you know? not. God. But <laughs> in the meantime, you know, all of us, you and I, we have to, you know, we have to get on out there. We have to keep on our lives as entertainers. I, I'm a, a person that's on stage. I'm a person that performs for live audiences, right? Here I am, you know, once again in the corner of my couch. <laughs> on, a, on yet another platform, Zoom, uh, you know, Facebook Live, they're all out there. And I have to bring who I am and what I'm about to that platform and do the same entertaining without seeing people that, you know, that I can feed off of. When you're on a stage, right, you have the audience and you take your cues from them and you react to them. So when this whole thing started coming down, I had been out like for three nights in a row supporting friends, um, you know, in New York here that were doing shows. There's a wonderful club called Pangea. That was my last night right before they shut the city down. And three days into this pandemic, 
all of a sudden I flipped out. I'm like, well, what the heck is going to happen to you? You know, you're booked for all of this stuff, which at that point had all been released, right? Because they canceled, everything was canceled. I am not the kind of girl that is going to take a cancellation. And right. I thought, well, I, 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 I definitely can't picture you as that type of girl. <laughs> right. But th this is what was happening. So my husband who shoots all of our documentary films, I said to him, I said, I'm just going to come up with a show. And I thought, what would be the most absurd thing for me to come up with? A cooking show. Nice. <laughs> because I don't cook. Nice. <laughs> I don't cook. And I literally, in 15 minutes, said to him, I'm going to order, like, they have, uh, Fresh Direct has these meals that you can put together. So for first shot out of the bag, I thought, all right, I will get, you know, they send you the ingredients. Mm -hmm. And you could do it. And it was, I think it was like spatchcook chicken or something like that. All the ingredients came in this enormous box. I opened the box and I'm like flipping out. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to chop vegetables. But that was our <laughs> very first episode of Pandemic Cooking. And again, I make, um, I make something to eat on the show. My recipes are easy. They're fun. But the show, which is, uh, you can tune in on YouTube. It's Wendy Stewart TV. That'll take you right in. I have 39 episodes of Pandemic Cooking. And again, it is really, it's a comedy show. Yes, we make something. Yes, you can actually cook those recipes and you'll enjoy them. Um, I taught myself how to do all of this, but it's really a comedy show. I'm a funny person. And mm -hmm. the comments I get from people, besides making the recipes and enjoying them, they're like, you have no idea what you did for me today. I was feeling so hopeless. And then I turn on the show because, you know, I do characters on the show. Listen, I just did one. Um, it was pandemic airlines and i was dressed up <laughs> like a flight attendant oh no and i took you know i took you on a trip a virtual trip on pandemic airlines and i even went so far as the little dishes i made they were served you know when you're on the airlines and you have the plastic dish uh -huh. with aluminum foil on top of it yes i went that far I, i've only i've only flown twice in my life but i know what you're talking about right but you, you know it's airplane food everyone always makes fun of it and that's what i i put on there and you know show people how to make the things that we had there i forgot even what i made but um i was in this crazy flight attendant outfit that you got at a party store you know the really sexy ones <laughs> yeah they're really trashy but people had such a good time with that show i even had one of my passengers get locked in the bathroom you know and i, I was like sir you have to get back to your seat now nice um, we had a good time and that's what it's about and all of the segments you can tune in you can find me on youtube and pandemic cooking with wendy under wendy stewart tv i am there to keep you laughing i am there to raise your spirits during this time that's what i do and that's what's important actually to go ahead and be able to do something like that for a lot of people that are stuck at home that are going crazy um, it's to have my friends, all my friends, you know? Yeah, that's the way it goes. So I got to ask you, you know, you went from modeling and then you went into acting, obviously. So how did you right. get started into acting? How did you cross over? Well, natural progression. So have you heard of Troma Productions? No, I haven't. Oh my God, they are like, um, Lloyd Kaufman is the king of B films. And uh, they had a film that's very famous called Toxic Avenger. You can Google oh, that. Yeah, Toxic uh, Avenger. I remember Toxic Avenger. Of back course you do. Yeah. Well, that's they, 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 even, they, even did, they even did a cartoon series after that that I used to watch when I was a kid. I'm telling you, trauma is, is unbelievable. But um, 
they hired me uh, to be in a movie. They didn't seem to care that I had no acting experience. That should have been the dick giveaway. And it was called Squeeze Play. It was about a girls softball team. Mm -hmm. And um, I only had a couple of lines in that film. Uh, the one thing I remember is we had a lot of wet t-shirt contests. And I remember Lloyd Kaufman, the director, yelling, hose them down. I used to, <laughs> right? You would be like, they would feed you like bologna sandwiches and little Debbie cakes. And they were they were non-union jobs. You know, you would work a 12-hour day with and, a and, and of, and of turnaround. Their, and of course, their mentality is that sex sells. That's for, ergo, the wet t-shirts. Right. And it wasn't, I tell you, it wasn't even like, it was a bunch of young girls in wet t-shirts and these wet t-shirt contests that I can't even remember who would end up winning them. But all I remember was I would hear those words, hose them down. And I would say to myself, oh no, here comes the water. But that's how I got my start. And then um, I start from that. I got into a couple of other movies. I was able uh, to get my card, my Screen Actors Guild card. And then I did commercials, started doing um, theater so yeah, that was, it was a natural progression. And I found that I just absolutely loved it. I loved being on set. I loved being on stage because think about it. You know, if I go to a remote part of the world to make a film, I'm, I'm having a fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. What could be better than being an actor and your whole life is fantasy. You're taking on characters all the time. The people that you're performing with, they're in the same fantasy with you. It really is an amazing thing. No, no it's doubt. Completely gratifying. Yeah, so that, you know, it was a natural progression to all of that. And here's the thing, though, that about me. I have since, you know, I've expanded. I'm, I make films now. Um, I do a lot of avant-garde theater, too, now, which is, that's all new for me. But I just keep adding to that poo-poo platter of skills. And I have to tell you, I haven't given up one thing. I've been doing this for... 38 years that's a really long time of being employed in the entertainment industry and honestly that is all i've ever done and that, wow. uh, that's all i ever want to do and 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 from there obviously you went from from just acting in movies to hosting yes so how did that, um, how did that get come about I, I have a quirky personality. I'm sure you could tell. No, <laughs> get out of here shut and, okay so so you know i would i would be out i people knew me from studio 54 i became a personality mm -hmm. and when you're um a personality people often want you to host parties so mm -hmm. you know you're the person that makes everybody feel great at the party because again i told you i have no filter i'll talk to anybody about anything because i'm interested in everybody and, and everything that's just my personality and uh, you know i could carry on a comment <laughs> my husband loves to say this I've been hired as a host for corporate clients, right? When they want to like beef up their image, make it a little bit more fun. And then I'm given like a CEO to interview and no personality, nothing. And, and very shut down as a person doesn't really want to share anything. So you know what? A good I've, host, I've, I've had interviewees like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I call it the dead guest. Yeah. All right. I had this happen on a home shopping channel one time and it was, they had no um, criteria for time. I think yeah. it was like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And yeah, I and remember that. And I'm sorry to cut you out. Yeah. And, and, and uh, just so you know, I'm glad that you uh, went ahead and touched on that. And I'm glad that you go ahead and put a name to that because I've, I've been doing this for a long time myself. I've been doing this for many years. I've been. Cool. So, you know, right. Yeah. I've been interviewing people for the longest time and that's the best description I could have because I've had interviewees that I've that I've talked to 
that don't give me nothing. So yeah, nothing. I love that term, the dead guest. I love that. I call it, it's, right. So it's perfect. on this home shopping thing, it's one o'clock in the morning. I had a dead guest propped up in a chair. Oh, I, I was bone tired. We had already been working for six hours. And I remember this. The producer came over and she looked at me and she said, you have to give me more energy. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her and I said, you have to take that course <laughs> that you gave me and get me something to work with here. I said, because I am, I have a ton of energy so no matter what time. Yep. Stupid. But so I am very skilled at embellishing, right? My guess, you can get somebody in corporate and your job is to make them look as, as mm-hmm. great, make them look fun. And mm-hmm. I'm an instinctive person. I'll try and hit on a chord and someone and then just the interview won't be what I prepared because what I prepared won't really work for that person. I have their backstory. Right. And I, I just, I work with whoever is in front of me and I got to be honest with you. I totally enjoy it. As a matter of fact, the dead guest is a challenge. Look, we can all get live wires. You know, we can all get people like you and me that are, you know, great. We love to talk. We know a lot of stuff, but when you get somebody that doesn't have anything to say or has an attitude, I'm sure you've had that happen. Uh, it's like, well, oh, you know, no, I mean, I've, I've actually, I've actually been very blessed that you know, in the times that I've that I've interviewed many people, uh, I've really never had anybody with an attitude. Well, that's good. That's yeah, good. I've actually been very blessed about that because I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, I also, I also have this. Like, I've been told I have a very intimidating look about me that yeah i'm looking at your stove right now you do (laughs) i have this i guess it's so funny because for the longest time people have always been saying like why why are you mad why are you angry i'm like i'm not mad this is just the way i look you know i accuse my husband of that all the time by the way he's like this is just my face yeah like oh look in the mirror you look angry yeah i can't do anything about that you know like i guess that's the reason why i'm always uh, you know, I'm always cracking jokes. I'm always like, you know, saying, you know, funny things because I just don't want people to think that I'm a jerk. You know? Right, right. Well, no, think, no, I'm not because yeah. I'm not, you know, and so I just have that look about me. So I, I'm assuming that that's probably the reason why a lot of my guests don't even try that with me because they're they're they might think okay if i do this by the by the way this guy looks he's probably gonna kill me so (laughs) try it with this guy right now and it's so funny because i mean you know it's like i mean don't get me wrong when a person has an attitude i'm as professional as candy i never i never you know go ahead and try to uh match Attitude for attitude. That's not I, I never would either. Yeah, because that's just, that. that's that's not yeah. my style. You know, if they want to go ahead and have the audience or the public perceive them perceive them a certain way, that's on them. Yes. I'm not going to go ahead and add on to that and have them be like, "Wow, you sunk to their level. Why would you do that?" You right. know, and that's not my style. And and right. so, but yeah, thank God, like I have not yet, you know, had anybody with an attitude uh on the show so so far yet or in my past interviews i haven't had that either so i've been very blessed by that you know (laughs) it's great i mean you know what to to have good good guests and for me you know that's how the whole hosting thing really started with corporate interviews and then home shopping and then you know now um i can do panels i love doing panels because you have all different personalities there right Mm -hmm. and sometimes you can get like a really good conversation going and you have to figure out, it's kind of like driving a car, right? You get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. If you have five people on that panel, you have to really orchestrate between all of them. You know, Otherwise, it becomes chaos. <laughs> yeah, right. 
or, or it becomes, you know, it becomes like Zoom. Where yeah, tell me about it. Once, right? yeah, tell me about it. No, where it's crazy. It I gotta, I gotta ask you, you know, I, I actually read that you, uh, you uh, bantered with Katie Couric. How I is, did. how is that like? I mean, talk to me about a little bit about that. I mean, I'm sure there's a story behind that. So Katie Couric was actually terrific, okay? Frequently, you know, because I am a personality, I get booked as that, I'm an influencer. So they needed someone um, on that show with some knowledge about antiques. But, you know, when you get booked on a show like that, they just don't want something like dry. They want a delivery. They want an interesting backstory. So I went on there and um, I had a particular antique. It was some kind of box that had a really great uh, worth to it, but it looked like, you know, an antique piece of garbage, right? Like mm -hmm. something you'd find in an attic. And it was up to the, there were other experts on the show that had to guess the worth of that box. And, um, you know, I gave them clues and things like that. And Katie, she's just, she was just terrific. She's warm. She's funny. She was uh, very engaging. But again, you know, we're talking about antiques, right? We're not talking politics or anything. We're talking about old stuff. Uh -huh. And she, um, she was so good to everybody. And the funny thing was nobody guessed the worth of the uh, article that I had. They, they couldn't guess it. And it was worth something like $2,000. It was a tile. It was a mint in tile. And it looked like a piece of chip garbage. But, um, you know, there, there you go. And it was a great segment. What makes a great segment? You know, you had two experts there. And then you had me, the person with a tile. That could be very boring. You know, someone comes home with a tile unless I had found out the history of the tile. It came from a, an old admiral's mansion in England. And I had picked it up at a flea market. Uh, with a bunch of other tiles at like six o'clock in the morning because here in New York we used to have a flea market that if you wanted the good stuff and you probably know this where you are too if you if you're going to a flea market that specializes in antiques you better get there when they're unloading the trucks that's yeah. where the good stuff is off. that's, that's very my, true right and my husband and I were there and there was this box of tiles and and I said to him listen we should we should go for it and it turns out these tiles came from mint their minton tiles that came from an admiral's house in england and they were a rare tile and prior to going on katie's show i had actually taken them over to uh, somebody to give me an appraisal at the metropolitan museum of art and we found out these we had these valuable tiles i think we spent 500 bucks with a whole box of them so great story right wow. really great story wow. so yeah that was my experience with katie couric and uh she would, she was just absolutely terrific. I've been, oh my God, I've been a guest on uh, Jerry Springer, Geraldo Rivera. Jerry Springer? <laughs> I am not, I am not kidding you. What were you doing you know? on Jerry Springer? Well, okay. At that time he was still out of Cincinnati and, um, he was, he, you know, they weren't killing themselves and it wasn't about uh, baby mamas then. I was going to say, I'm like, what, what did you do? Did you like, no, <laughs> you know, it, what, it wasn't, he was the nicest guy. He was broadcasting out of Cincinnati. And um, I knew somebody that was working at the show. She said, listen, I, so I have a weird relationship with my parrot. And she's like, I would love to do a segment on you. I'm like, great. So she calls me up and she said, would you want to come on Jerry Springer? We'll fly you to Cincinnati. And the segment would be, my parrot is ruining my life. And it was about <laughs> how, and, but you know what? It was true that we still have her, by the way. We've had her 38 years. Yeah, um, parrots last a very long time. Oh my God. We're only into year 38. My husband and I marked the calendar. We yeah, don't, they, don't parrots usually last about a hundred years? 
um, GoFin's cockatoos, which is what she is, she'll uh, be alive like 60 years. So it's 38 wow. years. You do the math. I've never been good at math, but um, yeah, we got a long ways to go. So I, I, so the bird, you know, it was very skittish and I'm like, you know what? I am not going to take her on the show with me, but I, I had enough confidence in myself that I knew I could pull it off. We made a video of her. I would sing that song and she would dance to it. Aww. So the segment, yeah, so we showed the video of me singing and her dancing and Jerry put that up. It was the opening to the show and the audience, of course, you know, was clapping. My bird is uh, one of the famous birds on YouTube, uh, dancing YouTube birds. She's gotten so many hits, Louise. So Louise didn't come on the show per se, but she was in the film and Jerry loved it and proceeded to ask me like, I, I don't know if I was sleeping in bed with my husband where it was a bird and so I would say, oh, well, sometimes she's between us. And of course, you know, he would make a lewd and lascivious joke about that. <laughs> of course. But it was, it was a very fun segment. And then of course, oh, I didn't tell you this. When I flew there to do that segment, I was seven months pregnant. Oh, and wow. the, the biggest joke was the bird would be, would nest on my stomach because she thought, that that was the egg, the giant oh, egg. That's I know it's awesome. great. So and cool. the audience awesome. totally love that. And this is the coolest thing. When my daughter was born, mm -hmm. and don't think I'm crazy, the bird was so gentle with her, she would lean over and groom her eyelashes. Animals and know. I knew I knew she would never bite her. Yeah, never no, bite her. Animals are the most they know. creatures yeah. on this planet. They know. I mean, there was just recently uh, a news about uh, this child that a bear was like right behind this child. And the thing is that by looking at it, it didn't seem like the bear wanted to attack the child. Right. Because the bear saw that it was just a little, a little person. It wasn't a, uh, an adult. And animals instinctively know when they're child, when they're children, right. when they're not predators, obviously. And a bear's not yeah. a predator. A bear, you know, they, 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 only, they only attack if provoked. They're not predators. Right. And well, they and they eat what they eat because they're living their best bear life. Exactly. I mean, oh, you know, right. for that for, for that matter, we should be called predators because we're Thank we're you. carnivores as well. So I mean Absolutely. You, know, you know, we can't call them that. So but the thing I mean, you've never heard of a bear, you know, eat a human. They've mauled humans, but they've never eaten a human. Right. And so and so that's what I'm saying. And so by the by what the footage from what I can gather, it didn't seem like the bear was gonna attack the child. It seemed like it wanted to play with the child. Or it wanted to kind of look at it like, hey, you're you're small, you know. I'm not gonna. Well, like a cub, maybe. Exactly, you don't know the exactly. The that's what I. That's what I was getting to is that it's possible that the, maybe the bear actually probably thought that the child was a cub, and yes. because it was so small. So animals, they instinctively know when. Again, when they're not predators, they instinctively know uh, to not harm. A, a human a human being because they 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 feel that the humans are just like them they're you know they're they're you know to uh to them we're probably animals you know and it exactly it wouldn't and be far I off totally, on that either totally agree with you on that when we went to cameroon to make whispers and witnesses about primate rescue we my husband and myself we were like eight feet from a gorilla that did not like me, so I backed off. But my husband, the whole time he stood there, the gorilla was perfectly fine. You know, Alan, he stands, I always kid him, he stands like a gorilla, he wears a black cap, he dresses in all black, and I really do believe that gorilla connected with him on that level. As there was a chimp that I met that was fascinated by the hair clip I had in my hair, 
and started grooming herself and pointing <laughs> to where I had the hair clip on my hair and then pointing to her own head. Aww. She wanted me, I mean, she wanted me to give that to her. That's they awesome. are so much like us. Yes. And I think um, gorillas and chimpanzees, they share at least 95% of our DNA that's known. And, um, you know, the things that you hear, uh, you brought up a very good point. When animals attack, they are often provoked. They need a really good reason. I wish human beings were that way, right? That it was just on being provoked and not just out of mean-spiritedness. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where when people, like when this pandemic was going on, suddenly there was the news about these uh, murder hornets or whatever, these poisonous yeah, hornets what's and everything. Yeah, wow. here's, here's the thing, and everybody was freaking out, oh, great, you know, now comes the murder hornets. It's like um, hornets are just like any other animal. If you provoke them, they're going to attack right. you. If you go anywhere near their nest, they're going to attack you because they're, yes. they're protecting their own. If you don't go near them, if you don't provoke them, they're not going to come after you. They're not going to they're not going to target you like animals. They don't target people. They only exactly. attack or provoke. That's it. You know, and so people are freaking out. It's like, just don't go near a hornet. You know, just don't go near a hornet's nest. I'm well, right. It's, it's common <laughs> sense. Are you going to like tease yellow jackets or or bees? You know, when I'm exactly. out in Pennsylvania, I don't. You know, I'm not going to taunt a bee or, or a yellow jacket. As a matter of fact, if anything lands on me or even near me like that, I very quietly move myself out of the way. I don't want to make them angry. Exactly. It's just common sense, right? Animals are very sensitive like that. So yes. We need to, we're, yes. in, in all honesty, we're on their turf. They're not on ours. Well, thank That's you for understanding that. But, you know, we're encroaching on their turf. And it goes back to this pandemic. I read this the other day, that they're expecting you know, that there is a likelihood of more pandemics right. mm -hmm. be because their, their habitat's being destroyed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, oh, you know what? That's all over the world. Why are gorillas and chimpanzees being poached? And then why do they end up in a rescue center? And that's what my film was about, rescue centers. Well, because the forests are being decimated. The Amazon, they're taking down the trees. The loggers are coming in there and doing mm -hmm. that. Where are these animals going to go and what kind of things? What do they call those as exogens? Z-O-O-O-G-E-N-S, which are the diseases, right, mm -hmm. that stayed in the animal world that are now crossing over to us. They really do predict that that's going to happen in a big way. We got to think about what we're doing. We really I, do. And I agree with that because in one of my, one of my uh, episodes, and I always bring my, this episode up because when this pandemic first began, my thing was that the world needed a reset. Like we all needed a reset and having people stay indoors has helped the, 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 the planet has helped the environment has in many ways. Yeah. In many ways. I mean, there's ozone layers that have closed up on their own. Uh, the rivers in Italy, you could actually, they got so clear. You could actually see to the bottom of them. I right. mean, animals were able to come out in neighborhoods because you know like well, you saw the film in, in italy in milan wild boars running down the street yeah because this and, is their, in milan this is, in a city i love that this is their land they were here before yes. we were and so we're the ones that have invaded their land and you know we don't we can't respect them we don't we can't live in harmony with them because we're the real animals not them that yes at the end of the day we are it's going to be very interesting to see like you said it's a wake-up call but what's going to happen going forward you know everybody wants to quote unquote get back to their 
old life or that the phrase the phrase is really I that I'm not loving these days is this new normal. I hate that. What term exactly too. yeah, well I mean come I on, where did this what what is this new normal? I think you know, that's folks, just a trendy I think that's just a word that wanted to trend that people just made up to start trend. trending because that's yeah. I mean it's like dude, this isn't a new normal. This is just a different lifestyle. You know, it's a different lifestyle. And the, the point you brought up about becoming aware of rivers flowing again, you know, animals going back uh, to the territory. I can tell you here in New York, the one thing I noticed because transportation got completely cut, right? Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of cars. The buses are on a, an abbreviated schedule here. Taxis are few and far between. You're And people, few and far between. I'm talking to you about New York City. Yesterday, I walked 40 blocks from Times Square up to uh, the Upper East Side, 40 blocks, and it was wow. so sparse. But I'll tell you something, the air smelled cleaner. I wake mm -hmm. up with the, my window open and I fall back asleep, something I never did because it's like waking up in the mountains. And I cannot believe I'm saying this about New York City, but that's how, how it is now. It is really unbelievable. Oh, so yeah, it's a big wake-up call. It's the same thing here in, in Los Angeles as well. Because, I mean, you know, L.A. is famous for smog. Yes. And since the pandemic, people have been taking pictures of the, of the atmosphere, clear skies, clean air. I mean, you can really see how man has a negative effect on the environment. And exactly. I'm scientists use this to prove that we need to make changes. Otherwise, we're destroying this planet. We're destroying everything in it as it is. We're destroying it, and we need to make some serious changes. And in a sense, that's the reason why I said that this pandemic was was there was there were many silver linings to this pandemic. One of them was environment. You know, one of them was the fact of the matter that we were able to see. I mean, it, it sucks because we're we're pretty much a petri dish right now, and we're trying yeah. to go ahead and see exactly how how uh this experiment's going so far it would seem that this experiment is exactly the way we you know many people figure that without the inner without the interference of man the earth could actually heal itself but now with man being integrated back in again it just depends on it just depends on how we're going to go about it at this point because it's well just, we it's have different. to hope then we have to hope that going forward the long shot People, I, it's a long shot because I have to tell you up until this point, let's, let's go back to September, October, right? Um, they outlawed plastic bags in New York, right? They did the same thing here. Um, yeah. The big joke now being there's more plastic than ever being thrown around because of the gloves and, and everything well, else, right? Here, here they didn't outlaw them so much as charge 10 cents per plastic bag. Yeah. Right. And, and here they either weren't giving them out, you had to take paper, or I think Rite Aid was charging five cents. But okay, we had the plastic bag thing. And then we had, um, I'm very involved with climate change. I go to lots of seminars at the Explorers Club about it. It really interests me. I have a lot of friends that study it, that are scientists. And I have to tell you, not to be gloom and doom, but uh, the things I've heard would set set your ears on fire. And uh, it was, it's been ignored, you know, certainly, um, in our society at at the top where it could be given to people as something that is actually ha happening one of the great divisions right now in our country is we have people that know that this is happening and want to do something about it and then we have another ilk of person that doesn't believe in it at all how could that be when it's that when it's a reality 
And I think to your point, maybe this pandemic will be a wake up call for people. They see things are starting to come back and, and there'll be more scientific research done on it. And maybe we'll get more believers, you know, that yes, climate change is actually happening. And if we want to save our planet, this is what we, the people have to do. It's mm -hmm. up to every one of us, right? I tell people this all the time. There isn't a day. There is just you and me. Agreed. Agreed. And I completely agree with that. And I just, here's hoping. That's all I can say is here's hoping that right we actually, you. <laughs> you know, we actually get somewhere. So aside from, aside from, you know, aside from acting everything, I do, <laughs> I'm a little intimidated by you because. No, also, don't. Well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. The reason why is because I also understand that you studied voodoo in Nigeria. Right. So, so you're adorable. I'm not going to do anything to you. You're perfectly <laughs> safe with me, but you know, again, we go back to uh, traditional medicine, right? Um, fascinated me, saw things in, I lived in a village called Ife in Nigeria and uh, was very lucky to go to a lot of festivals. I had an amazing friend there, uh, a guy from the Yoruba and his name was Jide Abegunde and his, grandfather was a well-known traditional doctor and I saw things there that you couldn't explain I saw people healed from things wow. that were not it, it was not something that fits into scientific knowledge mm -hmm. so um, again I bring up to you parallel universes is it voodoo or is it a belief in someone's mind right can that belief be so strong in a deity, right? I studied Shango, the god of thunder. If a person believes in Shango so much, can Shango heal them of cancer, of an open wound? You have to ask yourself that because I saw things that could not be explained at all. And again, we're back to the parallel universe thing. All roads lead to Rome. <laughs> it would yeah, be. It's we got it, you know, it's it's out there. I've seen it. And I've, you know, I've had this discussion, again, I know a lot of scientists who find me terribly amusing, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they love to hear my stories, but um, they're scientists, and they don't quite buy it, but I've traveled so much, and I've seen so many things that can't be explained, that I have to say, um, you, you have to go with it, uh, call it voodoo, I call it traditional medicine, it definitely exists, it can't be denied, and it is something, it's not just in Africa, you know, you go to South America, the traditional people there follow their own beliefs there. I've been to Guatemala and um, the, the uh, Indian population there, they follow their own set of beliefs there as well. I these people wouldn't be following this stuff unless it worked. Mm -hmm, they wouldn't be doing it. I mean, and you know what? We really, I think we need to open our minds because here, you know, we're not doing so terrific to begin with. We're really mm -hmm. not. And True. I think you have to be an open-minded person, but you know what? That's just my take on it. So don't be intimidated by me. I'm not going <laughs> to take out a doll and stick pins in it or anything. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> no, <laughs> never. Because I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure I have a couple of exes that are already doing that for me anyway. 
So now, like, I have one person in particular that I would like to do that with. No, that, that I that he has worked his way into my comedy act too. I talk about him all the time, and yeah, I think if I were going to do that, it would be with him. But you know what? I'm a nice girl. I put out uh, good energy. It's all about positive stuff with me at the end of the day. Well, and speaking of positive stuff, you went ahead and uh, you became also. In in midst of all this, you also became a fitness model. How how did you know? I'm assuming that because of your travels, you know that also inspired you to get into fitness. Well, I have to tell you. So when I tell people I'm a fit model, F I T, frequently, and when I'm interviewed, they they're like, "So how did you become a fitness model?" So ah. a fitness model is somebody that um, lifts weights and does all of that. And I do, by the way, to keep myself in shape. But a fit model, it's the weirdest job in the world. And I have to tell you what it is that I do. When you go into the store or your girlfriend or wife or your mom goes into the store, she probably has a designer whose clothes she really likes. And she likes those clothes because, you know, maybe she's not a perfect body. Maybe, you know, people have different proportions, but she'll put those clothes on and those clothes make her feel good, right? We, we all feel that way when something makes us feel good. We want to wear it. It's the first thing that we pull out of our closet. So I work with designers to make their clothing fit regular women. So that makes me a fit model. Now, what exactly is a fit model? I am a size eight, which is a pretty standard size in the industry. And when I work with a designer, she'll frequently have a sketch of what she wants her design to look like. And often that sketch is a beautiful garment that was on a 16 year old girl, size two, uh, six feet tall on a runway in Paris. How does that translate to the American market? Well, it doesn't because most people aren't that. My job is to take that garment and translate it. And by that, I mean, help her make it the right measurements so it fits me really nice. And by the time they make it slightly bigger, slightly smaller, a lot bigger or a lot smaller, it looks good on that other person too. So I like to tell people, I cover the asses of the masses. <laughs> when, you, when you put on pants that I have tried, you know, that I have fit, I make sure that when you're sitting on that bar stool having, having your cocktail and you lean over, nobody is going to see any plumber's butt on you, okay? Nice. I, it's just, it's a real talent to be able to do that. And um, that's what a fit model does. For instance, just describe to me what you're wearing today. Oh, I'd rather not. You have a t-shirt. Yeah, camera. I mean, I mean, I'm very casual. I, yeah, I'm very, I'm very casual. It's just a V-neck t-shirt with shorts, you right, know, because it's warm. I was, when you said that, I was afraid like you were in your undies. In no, 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 no. I, it's no, like, you know, on, you know, on Zoom, people wear things on top and then they're in their underwear on the bottom. Okay, so, um, you know, you have on a V-neck t-shirt. That's a good example. I'm glad you told me that. If I make a V-neck for a woman, right? I don't do it for you. I'm not a guy, but I make a V-neck for a woman. You know, I have to make sure, especially with a more conservative customer, that that V doesn't go so low. So I know that for most people that are a little more conservative, that V-neck has to be six and a half inches from where the hollow is in their neck. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's where the, the V has to be. More sexy customer, younger customer, she might want that V at like seven and a half inches because mm. she wants to show a little cleavage. Obviously. So I think that's a good example of the kind of thing that, that I do. And I work for some major brands. Uh, Eileen Fisher is a 
major brand that I work with. I do their, their knits for them as well as other items. And uh, I work for Neiman Marcus. I work for Lord & Taylor. Uh, JC Penny, may they rest in peace. Um, <laughs> I, it's terrible what's happening in my yeah, industry. I know. Uh, well, I do work for Walmart, uh, a lot of sportswear companies, outerwear companies, bathing suits. I really do it all. I leave no stone unturned. I have a lot of experience in that area. And you know what? When a woman tells me that she, it's just like my show, Pandemic Cooking. When they tell me I've made them laugh and that they feel good, it's the same thing with the fit modeling. When they tell me they like the way a designer's fit is, that they put that on and they feel beautiful in that garment, well, guess what? Then I know I did a good job. And you know what? I mean, now I just learned something new today. You know, I, don't, you I learned go. the difference between fit and fitness. So there you go. I, exactly. You know, I'm going to learn something new. No, that's really awesome. And, and, you know, obviously you have a lot to say in your book. I mean, because after yes. all these adventures, after all these things you've gone to, been through, experienced, witnessed, et cetera, you went ahead and you wrote, she's the last model standing. I did. It's a, it, you know what? It's such a metaphor because, um, if you get, I, I seriously, if I have to get my book to you or if you can pick it up because it's a metaphor for a lot of things. The last model standing, meaning no matter what happened to me in my life, not only am I still here in every chapter in that book, from moving to New York, from being turned down by every model agency, from trying to be discovered at Studio 54, from starting in B-films, from having every horrible part-time job that you could ever think of from being dressed up in a chicken suit on a corner you know handing out menus for a new restaurant and men walking past saying nice breasts believe me i have i worked every bad job that you could think of i was in a japanese piano bar called and i was called wendy's son my job was to entertain customers take their song requests find out you know if they were enjoying their drink how they like new york problem with the customers none of them spoke any english it was such a challenge <laughs> to keep that conversation going. Believe me, that was that was tougher than the dead guest, okay? But my book is about, you know, hope and it's about inspiration. All of my chapters, somebody said this to me. Every chapter in that book, you, Wendy comes out smelling like a rose, no matter how bad it was. And believe me, things, you know, often often got bad. The rejection, and, and you, you know, you know this, you're an entertainer. The rejection oh, yeah. in our industry can eat away at your ego. It can depress oh, yeah. you very much so. it can take yourself worth away the amount of people in our industry that go through depression that can't function half the time because of what other people in the industry do to them that wasn't me the and frustration I starts just... eating it this frustration starts eating at right you, like, and, and i thought you know what i'm gonna do my thing no matter what and I'm doing my thing. That's what it's about. It is interesting now, these documentary films, what, you know, people say to me, well, what made you, like, you went to Africa when you were in your 20s, you know, now, you know, X amount of years later, you're back there again. Well, it came full circle for me because I had auditioned for, no, I never even got to the audition. This is, and I know you know this, you're submitted on something. And there was a show they were doing on Animal Planet called Ms. Adventure. And um, I had all the qualifications. I was great on camera. I had already started to film in different parts of the world. I had done some filming down in the Amazon, uh, talking about the disappearing animals down there. Uh, I've had leeches on me. I've, you know, I've done it, all of that. So I 
submit myself for this show, Misadventure. And I'm waiting to hear, and I thought, surely, you know, there's nobody out there qualified. Well, what I learned, they didn't pick a qualified person. They didn't pick a person that had my background. They picked somebody, and this is a running theme throughout my book, book size two, 26 mm. years old, there you know, you per, per, little Miss Perfect everything, right? And but that's been with me since the beginning from being turned down by every model agency. But instead of sitting there and licking my wounds, I said to my husband, who's an amazing photographer, I'm like, the heck with this. We have the capability to start shooting our own stuff. And fast forward to now, I've been doing uh, small segments, large segments, and we've got three films out there based on my rejection from Ms. Adventure. I am now the on-camera host for everything I do. I produce the films, I find the locations, I put the crews together, and um, you know, in terms of script, I write li very light scripts because I, for me, it's much better for me to be, you know, the girl on the street. I like to react to what is exactly happening in front of me. So yeah, I'm doing my thing. And that is very clear in my book. It tells you no matter what, you have to keep on going. That's and that's that's actually very that's that's inspiring. That's actually inspiring, and that's something that you. many people have to like continue to like put that in their heads. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that as well because it's not easy out there. And it's I mean, not. I mean, I and, and and going back really quick, I had to, I have to ask because you brought this up twice already about you and Studio Fifty Four. I gotta ask you, how was that experience like being at the club that nobody could get into? Well, I thought you would never ask. Um, <laughs> I, I love talking about it, and I've, I've done so uh, many interviews on it because there's so many people that are so young, they were not even born when Studio 54 was around. I mean, and I, saw wanted... the movie. I saw the movie. And my, right, you I, saw the movie. And my, and, dad, and... my dad heard about it because my dad lived in New York, so he right. had heard about it, but he never went to it. But I saw the movie. I heard stories, but I never, like, you know, it's really very where you find somebody that was actually there yeah well not only was i there i was there all the time i was there thursday nights and sunday nights i had my um crew of friends that i would go with uh somebody asked me what was it like the first time you went ah here we go that rejection again mark benneke who was the door guy took a look at me and my little polyester dress and open-toed shoes in january right i had just gotten out of college and i didn't know what i was thinking that made me think I would get in there. And he took one look at me. And I remember I was there yelling, Mark, Mark, waving my hand. And he parted that rope, but not for me. I took a look around and, you know, people were dressed like funky and in costume and the socialites were dressed to the nines. And, you know, there, there I was, little Wendy from the Bronx in her polyester dress. I wasn't getting in. Then I tried to get in again. This time it was like, you know, a, a green dress that had all pulled threads on it didn't get in the second time either and i said to myself okay you got it that song from gypsy you gotta have a gimmick mm -hmm. i don't know i uh went to there used to be a ballet store called capizio and i went in there and i bought ballet tutus and leg warmers similar dress from like that uh movie flash dance mm -hmm. and i dressed like that and everything was pink i had pink ballet slippers on and a pink leotard and a pink ballet tutu you had and to stand out you had to stand out i did and i froze to death out in front there i didn't take a jacket i just wanted him to see me and he let me in and then after that i you know i dressed in all kinds of crazy funky outfits 
I always got in. And then, of course, I added my entourage to it. We, um, you know, some of my boys would be in drag. We always got in. And one night in particular, I love telling people about, you know, I saw Andy Warhol looking at me and I hadn't been introduced to him at that point. And I forgot who made the introduction. It was very easy to be like me. I really, I wasn't anybody, but you could rub shoulders with people that were somebody. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody got me into the VIP lounge because Andy wanted to talk to me. And we were talking and he told me, I started speaking about films. He spoke very slow. He was hard to, uh, he was hard to carry, you carry on a conversation with, believe me, you or I having him on our show, would, that would be tough. We'd be pulling <laughs> teeth on that one. But uh, he told me he was making a movie with Joe D'Alessandro and, uh, you know, I was very pretty. Did I want to be in the movie? And um, I, I said, well, how, you know, in those days you asked so stupid things like, we would never ask this now, but I said to him, well, how much is it paying? <laughs> right. And, and he said to me, he would pay me with a painting, you know, that he was a well-known artist. I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. You're the guy with the soup cans. Oh my God. <laughs> I, you know, I think of this stuff now and I'm like, how could you have ever said that? Yeah. I'm horrified. But those are the things you say when you're young and naive. Mm -hmm. When you don't and know any he better. offered to pay me with a painting. And, and I, I said, no, no. I, I said, I don't want a painting. I, oh I want to get Oh, my God. It. Could you imagine hey. if you would have gotten it today, how right. much that painting would have been worth? I know. I would be, like, living <laughs> large now, wouldn't I? <laughs> and um, he, you know, ultraviolet was there. And it, the whole scene, honestly, was very intimidating. I don't, now I wouldn't be, but, you know, back in those days, and I'm sure this is something you've experienced too, being a performer. You oh, I, was, I, 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 was, I was a Hollywood club promoter for over 10 years, so. so you, okay, so you were. I know. <laughs> you got the whole thing right, yeah. so you got what it is, and you mm. all, you, suddenly you start to really think you're not worthy. Oh my God, they must know that I shouldn't really be here. And that's a very bad thing to think about oneself. Mm -hmm. um, I don't go there now at all. I'm de definitely not that person. But back in those days, I definitely was. And um, thought I wasn't worthy and just, you know, just wanted to get away. But yeah, that was my story with Andy. And of course, you know, the rest is history. Joe D'Alessandro went on to become very famous porn star. Everybody knows who Ultraviolet is. Andy Warhol and the factory are well known everywhere. And Poor Andy, you know, uh, he died from a gallbladder operation and a nurse that did some mess up with him. So funny how life turns out, huh? It's At crazy. At the end of the day, you can just be taken out like that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think so, but, but there you have it. But you know what? I love sitting here and talking to you about it. I even, I was in um, the New York Post under a columnist, Earl Wilson, wrote a whole story about me. He called it, She Dances Alone. I was known for, after this whole ballet tutu thing, I have no professional dance training. This is what you need to know. I don't know where the ballet character came from, but maybe I always, in my fantasy, imagine myself with Baryshnikov. I would go to the dance floor, I'd be there all night, and then like people would start to leave at three o'clock. And between three o'clock and 4.30 in the morning, I would spin and twirl and dance on the dance floor all by myself. And Earl Wilson wrote an article on me called She Dances Alone. And to this day, it's something that I treasure, just, you know, getting that kind of recognition. And God, New York has changed so much since then. Your dad, of course, will tell you. And I, mi I miss those times terribly. However, this is so interesting that you brought up that you were a club promoter. January 24th, 
you know, in the last year, in addition to everything I'm doing, I, you know, that, that ex I was telling you about that I want to make a voodoo doll of, we had started to promote events and clubs. And January 24th, I decided to do an event called The Extravaganza. And I ended up meeting another amazing guy. His name is Nick Lyon. And the X, and we decided we were going to do this big event. Well, Nick is really the one that ended up producing the event with me. We wanted a Studio 54 style event, and we had over 300 people here. And let me tell you how we did our guests. Besides inviting our close friends, for a month before this, and as a promoter, you could totally get into this, we went out like three to four nights a week to every kind of event that you can go to in New York, right? Because mm -hmm. Facebook Facebook tells you. We, you know, I back in the day you didn't have that now mm -hmm. facebook tells you we would mark these events we would go there we'd make a minimum investment of a couple of cocktails each and we would meet everybody mm -hmm. and i had cards made up and i would invite them yep. to this yep. extravaganza yep. the night i have to tell you the night of the party was beyond spectacular january 24th of this year people are still talking about it it was it went down in history as one of the great events and Again, being a promoter, you can totally, totally mm -hmm. get what I can relate what I to did. it too. Right. And I was, uh, we had all these plans, Nick and I, going, going forward. We were going to do a huge party in March. And believe me, I'm adding this into everything else I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a people person, I'm out there. All of us know a gazillion people. Let's have an amazing night that we can create for all of our friends and their friends. But then the pandemic happened. And I haven't quite figured out how to get 300 people on Zoom yet, but don't worry, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's and it's and it's interesting because yeah, I, I when I was a club promoter, uh, in order to get people to come to the clubs, I had to go out almost every night to different clubs to yep. recruit to go ahead yep. and recruit people to come to the to the club. It's like, for example, if I was promoting on a Friday a club for a Friday, I had to go uh wednesday thursday or tuesday wednesday thursday out to the different clubs and say hey what are you doing friday come come and see me on friday That's you, know, exactly right. Right here. you know so i would do that so yeah i know exactly what you're talking about that's what a good promoter does it's a non but, it's a non-stop job people like look at it as like, oh you're partying no i'm working there's a big difference you know yeah but if you're loving this is what's so funny a ton of those people that i met for the first time when when nick and i were doing all this promoting they're, can you believe this? They are, they're my friends now. Wow. I mean, they're people I talk, they're not like, you know, far off Facebook friends. Yes, I've got a load of those, but these, so many of them are my friends now. And especially a lot of the drag performers who got hit financially so hard with all of this, they're doing their shows on Venmo. I totally promote their shows. Uh, some of the people I met that were producers that night, Friday night, um, tomorrow night, I'm going to be on Evan Lauren. Oh, Lawrence presents. Uh, I'll be on there with Michael Musto, Penny Arcade, uh, Tim Moss, uh, uh, Evan Lawrence, of course, Bobby Hudson, a bunch of really wonderful people. We're going to do readings. We're going to do singings. I'm I'm still promoting. I spend so much time on social media, and again, I'm not getting paid to do that. There's no reward for me doing that. But you know what? I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do because this pandemic will be over. We'll all be using social media to promote things and then we'll use ourselves to go out there because who else do we have except ourselves as our best instrument ever to go out there and promote club events. I can't wait. No, and that's awesome. And I'm, and you know, like I said, I'm glad that I'm glad that you're still staying active with your cooking show, with promoting these events and things like that. I'm, I'm yeah. glad that all this stuff is going on. And speaking of social media, how can people stalk you on oh social my gosh. media? 
Okay, so here we come. On YouTube, it's Wendy Stewart TV. All the pandemic cooking shows are on there, as well as some readings that I've done in clubs as a theatrical performer, and that is called Reading for Filth. That's on there too. It's my new YouTube channel. I'm fleshing it out, but 39 episodes of pandemic cooking are on there. On Facebook, please reach out. I'm accessible. I'm under Wendy Stewart. I have so much fun stuff on my pages because I'm all about fun. On uh, same thing with Instagram. On Instagram, I am under She's the Last Model Standing. On Twitter, I'm under She's the Last Model Standing. Back to Facebook again because Facebook everybody that is the platform that works for me the best and the one i use the most you can find uh the pages on my book she's the last model standing on facebook and if you want to read about my films and the press they get it's under visual journeys or stories on facebook and last but not least should you want to get my book she's the last model standing by wendy stewart kaplan it's on amazon very accessible and on kindle as well and I'm sure at this point there's used copies out there. <laughs> and sometimes on Kindle, there's, they run free specials, people tell me. So I just want you, I want you to get my book. I, don't, I make so little on these books, you know, unless I'm in an event selling them. I want you to get my book because I think it'll really help people. I think it'll empower people. I think it'll inspire people. And that's what I am here to do. Thank you so much. And it sounds and it sounds like it would be an incredible read too. Wendy Stewart Kaplan, thank you so much for being thank on the you. Xander Effect. I appreciate your time and I hope to have you on here again very soon. Fantastic. Thank you. Great being here. All right, we'll talk soon and be safe out there. You too. All right. Thank you so much, Wendy Stewart Kaplan, for being on the Xander Effect. Hope to have you on the show very soon. In sports, Minnesota Twins outfielder Max Kepler had to apologize for wearing a Blue Lives Matter mask in the wake of the George Floyd uh, uh, protests and his uh, his uh, his death. And it, it seems that the outfielder had no idea what the mask represented. He had no clue whatsoever. And he went ahead and shortly after that, he went ahead and took the took the post down and posted another thing on social media, another something else on social media saying uh, with a with a like two piece fingers up saying wasn't aware what the mask supported, still not into politics. But that drew even more criticism, you know, for what he had been doing. So he had to go ahead and make a complete statement about what he had done. And he said, quote, earlier, I posted a photo of me in a mask that was sent to me by a company to wear during the pandemic. I had no idea that the mask had any underlying inferences. I simply thought it looked good. After I was informed, I immediately took down the post. I take complete responsibility for not knowing what I was wearing. I am truly sorry for the hurt and pain my actions have caused, especially now. Racism has no place in our world, and I do not in any way support the actions that we all witnessed that led to George Floyd's passing. My sympathies are with the Floyd family. Another, uh, 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 besides him, besides, uh, besides him posting that on social media, the Minnesota Twins actually went ahead and also posted uh, something on Twitter. They tweeted, "We are deep quote We are deeply saddened by the tragic and senseless death of George Floyd on Monday night in Minneapolis. The Minnesota Twins send our deepest sympathies." 
to the Floyd family and join with our Twin Cities community in mourning. We will continue working with our community partners to move forward with courage, free of hate and thoughtful in our path to create the change we want to see in the world. One, all inclusive twins territory where everyone is protected, safe and welcome. So basically, you know, at the end of the day, I think I, I honestly think that uh, Max Kepler really had no idea what what he was doing. So you know, I I, I would say to people take it easy on the guy. I mean, I, I you know, he, it was an innocent mistake, and you know, he took it down. He apologized for it. So you know, hopefully they they go ahead and. The, the public goes ahead and, you know, takes that into consideration. In other sports news, looks like Conor McGregor and Anderson the Spider Silva might duke it out. Basically, Silva went on an interview and he had said that he was interested in fighting Conor McGregor. And, of course, Conor McGregor, after hearing this, he went on social media and he said... I accept. So looks like they're 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 trying to go ahead and figure out. Hopefully they'll go, they'll go ahead and figure out exactly um, what's going to end up happening. But that should be an incredible fight. I mean, initially Connor went ahead and just tweeted out saying that he accepts the fight between him and Anderson Silva. But he went on ahead and you know later on he went ahead and tweeted some more, uh, basically expressing what weight he wants to fight Silva in, and looks like it's going to be in the middleweight division because he went ahead and tweeted 185 rock in like Rosamar. He also tweeted, you want C-bombs? So it's definitely going to be one hell of a fight. However, many people ha are criticizing the fact that Anderson, Anderson the Spider Silva is past his prime. So this might be this might be a one-sided uh, affair, but who knows? I mean, it, you know, many people could assume that, but, you know, it's all it's all about skill. I mean, and Silva was the champion for many years, for a very long time. So we'll see what happens. I mean, they have mutual respect for one another. Obviously, uh, McGregor had expressed that he had put Silva as some of his the top goat list for him for himself. The people he 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 believes to be the goats of this uh, of this sport, and Silva was a part of that. And in turn, Silva also expressed what kind of a good fighter McGregor is. So we'll see what happens. It should be an interesting event. Personally, I think it's going to be a good fight. And and I hope the UFC decides to actually make it happen, seeing as the John Jones-Francis Nagano fight is definitely not going to happen due to, uh, you know, the fact that they can't come to an agreement financially for both parties. So, you know, this would be another great fight. Hopefully they could come to an agreement as well for a good super fight. You know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what Dana White has to say about this super fight. Coming up next in video game news, looks like duos are on Call of Duty Warzone and I will be talking about that. But first, here are the Pawnhawks. Midnight Howl right here on the Xander Effect.
That was Frank Mullins' Don't Wanna Work right here on the Xander Effect. In video game news, according to uh, Games Radar columnist Austin Woods, it looks like Call of Duty Modern Warfare has added a surprise update in adding duos into the Warzone, among other things. 
He went ahead and he said in his column, quote, with this update, Warzone now supports solo, duo, trio, and quad playlist for its mainline battle royale mode, as well as a quad playlist for plunder on the side. This is the first time a duo's option has been available for the battle royale mode since Warzone's release in March. Like trios and quads, the duo's playlist does give players the option to join solo and disable autofill in case you find yourself in the mood for a slew of two on versus one engagements. So that's actually really good news because there were times where you want to go ahead and include your friends in there, but of course you couldn't. And it was kind of like a pain because you had to go to plunder to try to go ahead and include your friends in there. And sometimes you want to do plunder on your own. It was a weird situation. That's <laughs> it's very strange when it comes to when it comes to wanting to play with friends on certain modes and not wanting to play with friends in other modes. So it's really cool that uh, that uh, Call of Duty decided to add that. So looking forward to that. In other video game news. PlayStation is requiring that all developers uh, go ahead and when they submit, you know, their games, that it would be that, you know, pretty much, the, you know, anything after July is going to be compatible with PS5. So in other words, if games have been developed for PS4, they're asking developers to go ahead and submit all their games so that way they could be compatible for PS5 after July. So that way, all the games that are being played right now, they need to, you know, they're not gonna do, because PlayStation's not gonna do uh, cross, you know, cross, um, cross play, or they're not gonna be cross compatible. No, these games are not gonna be cross compatible according to uh, 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 PlayStation, you know, play, uh, according to Sony Associates. Basically, they're saying it's not going to be cross-compatible, so therefore all these video game developers, they need to go ahead and make sure their hardware is compatible with PS5, so that way all the games that are playing, being played right now can actually be downloaded out on PS5. But any other games, you know, obviously from, you know, last year or anything like that, they're not going to be compatible with PS5, and there's no, uh, you know, they're not going to be cross-compatible, so... That, you know, it is what it is, you know, as far as that's concerned right there, simply because Sony Interactive Entertainment boss Jim Ryan basically explained why they're not going to be doing that. He said, quote, we have always said that we believe in generations. We believe that when you go to all the trouble of creating a next-gen console, that it should include features and benefits that the previous generation does not include. And that, in our view, people should make games that can make the most of those features. We do not believe in generations, and whether it's the DualSense controller, whether it's the 3D audio, whether it's the multi multiple ways that the SSD can be used, we are thinking that it is time to give the PlayStation community something new, something different that can really only be enjoyed on PS5. Now see, in a sense, I agree with that statement. In a sense, I don't. Now, Xbox, they, they will have uh, the games that will be cross-compatible. They will have that feature on the Xbox, which might give them an edge over PS5 because as a gamer, I'll let you know right now, there are times that there are old games that I want to play, but I couldn't. Well, this is back when... Xbox wasn't really, uh, you know, doing uh, cross-compatible games up until recently, and I was angry because I had to re I had to sell all my games and buy new ones for the new console. But at the same time, when they started doing cross-compatible cross-compatibility, I was like elated. I was so happy because I was like, dude, I could play my old games here now, you know. So that was really cool. 
So for PS5 not to be able to do that with past games, that's going to be kind of tough because what are players going to do if they want to play some old games? Or are they going to have to, you know, keep their old PlayStation and just continue to go back and forth between consoles? It's a little inconvenient. So, I mean, but it is what it is. I mean, but I do see Sony's point in, you know, pretty much looking ahead instead of looking behind. But, you know, it's always fun to look behind every once in a while, right? So you never know. That's the news in case you haven't heard it. Thank you so much for listening to the Xander Effect. Don't forget to uh, tune in to World of Dance podcast. Man, that podcast is amazing. I get to interview the contestants of season four's World of Dance. So make sure you watch out for that one. And of course, we're still in this crisis. Things are reopening up little by little. But, you know, it's just, we're still not out of the woods yet. Make sure you continue to wear your masks, your gloves, your goggles if you got to. Make sure you continue to wear all that to protect yourselves and your loved ones. And remember, music always, always heals all. We'll see you next time. Y'all. <laughs> I beat tell I told. Yeah, you did. They ain't believe it, though. <laughs> One life. Game, be telling. What up? Woo. So we kick it like it's kickball. Power couple. She dripping in that Del Cigabana. They want to touch her. Everybody know that's do girl. What you going to do by me and her take on the world? Now that's a true. Hey, everyone. The Xander Effect is powered by 5050 Global Music, Inc., Sony Music, The Orchard, and BMG Bertelsmann Group in association with Art19 Media.